Hi, everybody. Welcome to the October 18th, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. It is great to be back. I want to thank my friend Patty Calhoun for filling in for me. I hope all of you enjoyed her short, incisive questions. Now we're back to my long, rambling ones. So you're welcome. Uh, let's get started with a quick take on the CEO of Colorado-based Seattle Fish Company, James Iacino, deciding to challenge Republican Congressman Scott Tipton in Congressional District 3. Patty Cahoon, again, thank you so much for filling in so well uh, for the last couple of weeks. Uh, what do you think of this challenger to Scott Tipton? They have said he's vulnerable, but they said that the last three times he's won. So I take this with a grain of salt. Is he more vulnerable this time? Well, certainly no one is happier to see you back than I am, Dominic. <laughs> and I'm also happy to see this candidate jump in against Tipton. Interesting long-term family in Colorado. You know, they've had this successful fish business. Kind of a next-generation candidate for Colorado. And I think he could catch fire. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, David, uh, I, I would imagine that Tipton uh, with a district, CD3, is all the western slope, and then it sweeps in and includes Pueblo. Uh, Pueblo has long been a, a city that uh, it, it's uh, interesting for Colorado politically. You have its Democrats, but you've got a long-term, I think, what, what they call blue dog Democrats, where you, you, Democrats are still pro-Second Amendment. Uh, does James Iacino have a chance against Tipton in this district? Well, like the lottery advertising used to say, if you don't play, you can't win. Um, and if the lottery advertising had been truthful, it would have also said, but you're probably going to spend a lot of your money and you're going to lose. Um, so that that's the most likely scenario, but he could get lucky. There there could be a uh, historic statewide landslide, even you know bigger than last some of the the previous elections, uh, because Donald Trump uh, is is unpredictable, and who knows how much how far he could drag down uh, the Republican Party in that district. So it, it, he's got a shot. Join us for the first time at the table, uh, Melanie Asmar, reporter with Chalkbeat Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us, Melanie. She, you'll also be able to see her as a judge on both sides of the story uh, <laughs> earlier tonight and then next week, so be sure to check her out there. Melanie, thanks for joining us. Uh, we hear a name like this going against Tipton. i got to believe that if he is indeed vulnerable, uh, uh, um, uh, Scott Tipton, that we might hear other names. Do you think this is going to attract more attention as we move forward? Possibly. Um, I don't know too much about um, politics in that part of the state, but I was reading up on uh, Iacino, and um, the two things he seems to be talking about are uh, health care costs and mm -hmm. also that he wants people to eat more fish. <laughs> well, at least he's being focused. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and running at the panel, Wendy Howell is back with us, Deputy Director of the Colorado uh, Working Families Party. Uh, Wendy, wrap it up for us. Uh, do you think this is going to attract more attention as a race now that uh, Iocino's in? You know, I think it was already an interesting race. It's one of those races that's continually sort of on the bubble for national Democrats. Um, and 2020 is a very interesting year. People are already predicting record turnout, et cetera. So if there's a year where it's going to happen, it's probably 2020. But I also think it's going to be an interesting primary given the other folks in the race. Here, here. The second and corrected version of the Aurora Municipal Ballot is officially in the mail. Some of Aurora's initial ballots erroneously stated that voters could only vote for one candidate in the at-large city council race, when in fact they can vote for two. Meanwhile, CPT-12 and AARP hosted a mayoral debate featuring Mike Kaufman, Ryan Frazier, and Omar Montgomery, who are running for mayor of Aurora. And you can catch it this Sunday at 5 p.m. and again on November 1st at 9 p.m. 
Uh, Patty, Aurora is Colorado's third largest city. It's the most diverse city in Colorado, one of the most diverse cities in the country. Uh, I would think an issue like a ballot screw-up and a mayor's race that's getting a lot of funding is going to attract a lot of attention. What do we need to know about what's going on in Aurora? Well, it's definitely becoming a bigger city because Denver is usually the city that has the ballot screw-ups. We've talked about them many times around this table that they forget to put the correct date on or the right amount of postage. So as Aurora becomes a bigger city, of course, it's going to have ballot screw-ups too. It is a really interesting city, starting out as you know a sleepy farm town, then a bedroom suburb. But now with, what, 20%, I think, of its uh, population are immigrants. It's a fascinating group because you've got Big business still bringing in things like Gaylord and really moving faster than Denver has been on economic incentives, but at the same time, real challenges with an aging middle street. The fact that you've got Mike Kaufman, the long-term congressman running for mayor, kind of doing a John Southers in Colorado Springs, running for mayor here. You've got Ryan Frazier back. You've got Omar just blanket on his last name. I mean, you've got a really interesting lineup. So the at-large candidates are the least of it. The mayoral race really will change how the direction Aurora is going to go in. And Aurora is really at a crossroads. David, what do you think about that? You have uh, Ryan Frazier and Mike Kaufman, who, and, and I'm guessing here, I think they have run up against each other before in another race. I know that Mike Kaufman's run for a lot of different positions, as Ryan Frazier has, because I could be wrong on that. But you have both of them at least representing... Um, I'm not sure if we call it moderate Republican, but at least a pretty uh, conservative side of what's going on in Aurora. Omar Montgomery representing more of the progressive side of things. And Aurora, who has a, a very diverse history, supporting Mike Hoppin for a long time, electing Jason Crow in 2018, really could go any direction. When you look at the city and the different candidates, what's standing out to you? Well, this is an example of, of municipal government needs competence, uh, among other things. This was... Uh, the Adams County clerk has had some problems in the last election, but this was not their fault. This was a screw-up caused by the Aurora City Clerk's office. They sent the wrong information to, the, to Adams County, and then when Adams County sent them back a, a final copy of the ballot to proofread, they approved it uh, again. So very uh, weak performance. Mike Kaufman, uh, among other things, has been state treasurer and Secretary of State. So if you want somebody to get the clerk's office into a functioning uh, status, he'd, he'd probably be a good choice. Melanie, one of the questions we asked the uh, mayoral candidates was about their opinion about Aurora Public Schools. Now, there are other public school districts within the city of Aurora, since it's a really huge city, uh, but that's a, a clearly a big, a big one. When you look at issues like that and other issues that are in Aurora, what do you think is going to be most important among voters as they go to the ballot box for the city council race, the mayor's race? What are they thinking about? Yeah, Aurora Public Schools is uh, interesting. Um, they are kind of not as um, far down uh, like the charter school road as Denver is. They're starting to see um, uh, a few charter schools, a few more charter schools moving into Aurora, and that's been really controversial there. And there's been a lot of pushback from um, the teachers union, and and they now have um, a new school that is sort of a, a branch of uh, the DSST charter network, which is the biggest one in Denver. Now they have one in Aurora, so um, that's been an issue, and um, yeah, that may matter to voters. Wendy, when you look at, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the Colorado Working Families Party endorsed Omar Montgomery uh -huh. uh, in the mayoral race. But looking at the issues in Aurora, uh, where do you think voters are going to go? What, what do you think is standing out as the most important things for civic voters in Aurora? Yeah, I think we saw two years ago in, uh, in 2017 
that Aurora voters were hungry for a change. And I think that that appetite has only grown in the last two years. And I would argue that uh, the city council races are just as important as the mayoral race. Um, you know, tw- in 2017, we saw three progressive challengers oust, uh, you know, take back seats in Aurora city government because mainly because, uh, you know, many people who didn't typically vote in municipal elections started turning out. And given the general energy around elections these days, it seems likely to me that that's going to con- that trend is going to continue in 2019, uh, and that progressives are likely to take a majority of the Aurora City Council. Uh, and I think that that energy actually is going to trickle up to the mayor's race, and that turnout is going to trickle up and impact the mayor's race. Should be interesting to see. Results of a scientific modeling study funded by the Colorado government and commissioned by then-Governor John Hickenlooper were released this week. The study found that short-term exposure up to 2,000 feet away from oil and gas drilling sites puts humans at risk for health problems like nausea and headaches. Colorado's Oil and Gas Commission responded by saying it will take the information into consideration when deciding on approving permits. Uh, David, what is the weight, the appropriate weight given to a study like this, the sources, where it came from? Well, as, as you said, it's a, a, a modeling study. Um, and as the executive summary explains in, in their words, it is about hypothetical people, hypothetical facilities, and hypothetical locations. And then these hypothetical uh, folks uh, are exposed to worst-case scenarios, which, as the study says, uh, might happen only rarely. And then in this hypothetical dystopia we have, uh, the uh, study predicts that air quality guidelines would be exceeded in, quote, a relatively small number of oil and gas development scenarios. And those exceedances would not lead to any long-term health problems. So... That's what the, the study actually says. I can guarantee you it's going to be massively misrepresented by the anti-science folks uh, to try to convince people that if you live uh, 1,900 feet away from an oil and gas facility, you're being poisoned all the time, which is the opposite of what the study found. Uh, the Colorado Oil and Gas uh, Agency, our commission, uh, is doing the right thing by starting to do air mo- actual air monitoring. And that's what's much more relevant, is, is real data uh, about real-world uh, air quality conditions. Millie, this seems that uh, whether it's modeling or where the, the, the study came from, when you see headlines like that, it's only going to inflame already a, a hot issue in Colorado. Uh, do you see greater ramifications as we head towards 2020? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think that the um, the study, uh, you know, I think raises a lot of questions and calls out for more research. It seems like, um, uh, you know, this is an area um, where the technology is advancing and how we can monitor air. Um, nine Denver schools this year just got brand new air monitors, um, and they have these, like, big TV screens in the schools that show different colors, like green is it's good and you can go out to recess and be fine. And then there's like um, the worst is purple that like, you know, please stay inside there. A lot of them are up in the um, uh, Globalaria Swansea neighborhood by the I-70 construction. So it seems like an area, you know, that's going to beg for more research. That makes sense. Uh, Wendy, the legislation surrounding oil and gas regulation and last year's legislature got a lot of attention. Uh, I don't think that's going to go away. But 
the, a lot was said that, well, let's do a lot in 2019, so in 2020, an election year, we don't have to go nearly as far. I don't know if this uh, pumps the brakes at all. It seems to me that for some in the legislature, especially uh, Speaker uh, Becker, it would put the, uh, a little bit more pressure on the, on the gas pedal, uh, no pun intended. Uh, what do you think this means for 2020? You know, I think that uh, I think that oil and gas continues to be a hot button issue around the state. That's gonna, and it's very much dependent on local dynamics. So, for example, in Weld County, very pro oil and gas, right? That is that's a very local thing. It's the most fracked county I think in the nation. Uh, in Adams County, on the other hand, and Broomfield and some of the other uh, suburbs north of Denver, which are swing counties and critical swing areas in 2020, this is a kitchen table issue in which people have been force pulled. They've had their mineral rights forcibly sold because one of their neighbors wanted to sell their mineral rights. And it's something that is deeply, deeply concerning to folks up there. So I think it's going to play out differently in different places. Um, but ultimately, uh, I think that, uh, you know, Colorado's moving in the right direction. Frankly, it's insane to me that there hasn't been actual monitoring. I know up in the north end of town, by, you know, by me and in Commerce City, they've been asking for fence line monitoring of Suncor, of the refinery, for quite some time. And so, uh, you know, yeah, we absolutely should all know exactly what is coming out of these facilities. Petty, what do we think that is going to happen as a response from the legislature, especially what we saw last year? And is there a potential of overcorrecting, which would actually uh, give Republicans something to run on in 2020? Well, this report exploded yesterday like an uncapped pipe up in Weld County. The people have been waiting for it for a long time, and I think uh, they were a little surprised just by how doomsday some of the worst-case scenarios were in the modeling report. Now, one of the problems is, because there hasn't been the monitoring, you don't have the hard science to really go by. So you have to go by the modeling. If you read the report, it's fairly straightforward. They are going to continue looking into it. They are going to start monitoring, which is important. But we're absolutely going to feel the ramifications in the next election. This is a report that John Hickenlooper had commissioned when he was the governor. He is certainly more pro-fracking than, say, Andrew Romanoff, who is, yes, still a uh, candidate for Senate. Uh, People pointed that out last week that his name hadn't come up. So it's going to be an issue both in the Democratic senatorial campaign, it's going to be an issue in the Republican campaigns. But I think it's also going to be a real hot-button issue in the legislature as people like Casey Becker will push for even more stringent controls. We are three weeks out from the election, and spending in the Denver school board races has topped 1.3 million. Pro-reform groups and candidates currently outpace their teacher union-backed rivals. The one exception to that is candidate Scott Balderman, who has spent over $300,000 of his own cash in an attempt to win the Southeast District seat. Uh, Melanie, you are our person uh, on education issues with Chalkbeat Colorado. School board issues, school board races usually do not make these kind of headlines, especially with millions, millions of dollars attached to it. Uh, this sounds a little crazy. What do we need to know about what's going on in, in the DPS races? Yeah, um, so these races have actually been pretty big money um, for a while now. Um, One million dollars isn't a record. There have been more expensive um, elections. I think that Denver is uh, a place in the country um, that's really a battleground for um, kind of the big debate in education, uh, reform versus anti-reform, uh, stuff like um, charter schools, 
uh, stuff like should we should we close low performing schools and restart them? Should we let families choose schools? Uh, Denver's really been sort of on the forefront of all those policies, um, and people who uh, both like those policies and don't like those policies pour a lot of money into Denver. So that's why you're seeing all this money. That's why you're seeing all this attention. Um, Scott Balderman's spending, though, is unprecedented. Never before has a single candidate poured that much of his own money. He's like um, a tech billionaire, right? A a millionaire, right? He, I, I don't. He's um, he built. Um, uh, uh, a web application for the construction industry. I don't understand all the ins and outs, but he sold it and um, has been a stay-at-home parent since. So, yeah. So that's the way to do it, I guess. <laughs> you put up $300,000 of your own money and you make, make a lot of money uh, with a really cool app. That sounds great. Um, Wendy, this seems to me that it's speaking to the politics because we're in DPS. Uh, it's not as if this is a clearly partisan race. I mean, in Denver, you're not going to run as a, a Republican, but you're clearly seeing divisions. And even folks who are saying, hey, I'm just, I think there's a candidate in Scott Baldwin's race, and I, I, forgive me for forgetting her name, but she's like, with all the different money coming in here, I don't have a chance to actually get my message out. Um, and it's not as if they break down partisan lines. Are we going to be seeing more of this within races, especially like DPS? Yeah, I mean, Veronica Nath is who you're talking you. about, Dr. Nath, and she's, um, she's fantastic. We endorsed her. Um, but uh, I think that this is actually, as, as Melanie was saying, this is kind of par for the course in Denver, unfortunately. Um, the Washington Post has actually reported on it. Uh, and just we are, you know, one of the us, New Orleans, a couple other towns are like the epicenters of this, you know, reform movement that has been uh, that's been occurring in the country. And, you know, frankly, this is Wall Street money. This is the Walton Foundation. This is, you know, hedge funds in, in down, you know, down in southern Manhattan who are pouring money into these AstroTurf groups like DFER, like Stand for Children, like these sorts of organizations that are attempting to influence our local elections for volunteer positions, by the way. Um, and, you know, think it because they want Denver to be a model for their ideology. And frankly, I think they need to go home. And if they want to do that, do it in New York. Uh, Patty, DPS makes headlines all the time, but not always with the school board. Uh, this, the school board races are clearly making news of their own. What do you make of what we've seen so far? Well, let's remember the school board's been p- pretty controversial as it swings back and forth over the last decade. Uh, this It's a ridiculous amount of money to spend for a position like this, but we have to remember that Residents of Denver can still go out, educate themselves, read Chalkbeat, find out what they think. You don't have to buy these elections. You can get out, volunteer. Shoe leather makes up for a lot of what you're doing in a, in a campaign like this because it's not the whole state. It is just the city. So there, other candidates have a chance, but you've got to get out and really have your voice heard. David, I'm used to hearing the reform uh, comments about Jeffco, about Douglas County. Uh, maybe I'm just being blind to it, but I didn't think DPS was the hub of this kind of work. But you have done a lot of work with when it comes to things like this. What do you think? Well, Democrats for Education Reform has been a longstanding Colorado group uh, with, with great leaders in it, like uh, Peter Groff, the first black man to be president of the Colorado Senate, and who later went on to be an a, a education official in the Obama administration. And the point of view of of them and similar Colorado reformers is that 
families ought to have a choice. So that's why they, they're in favor of public charter schools, uh, because there's built-in quality control. If the school's no good, then people don't go, and it gets closed down automatically. It doesn't have some perpetual existence if it's not providing what families need. Uh, in contrast, low low-performing traditional neighborhood schools, the ones that are most under the thumb of uh, the teachers' union and employees' union, uh, the anti-reform people say, well, they should never close, no matter how bad they're doing, never start over. They're, you know, it's always more and more and more money, uh, but less and less choice. So there's a lot of talk about celebrating diversity and things like that, but when it comes to practical actions, uh, the anti-reform side is very much against uh, allowing diversity for families. Candidates in the Democratic primary for the U.S. Senate are venting frustrations about party rules and candidate forms. This week, in reporting from the Denver Post, at least six of the eight candidates said they want to be able to draw distinctions between themselves and their primary opponents rather than being mandated to only talk about themselves. We'll do a quick take on this one. Uh, Wendy, do we need to look at what kind of rules are being mandated at a Democratic... Uh, again, these aren't even debates. These are just forms. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the difference between a forum and a debate, and certainly it's, you know, it's the Morgan Carroll and the rest of the Democratic Party at leadership. It's their prerogative to, to make those rules and the candidate's prerogative to choose whether or not to participate, as we see Hickenlooper not doing, by the way. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that uh, for me, the, the line is really talking about policy versus throwing mud, talking about personal stuff. And I do feel like I wish that they would be able to draw policy distinctions between themselves, even in a forum. Patty, maybe I'm being cynical. It's happened before. Uh, but this feels like extra and not necessary bubble wrap for John Hickenlooper as he's trying to become the nominee. Uh, but again, I would look to you to see if I'm being cynical. No, you're not. But it's our prerogative to say the Dems are being stupid. It's a stupid policy. You can ask people to be civil, and that's one of the things Hickenlooper always has said in all his campaigns. He's been consistent. You can be civil while pointing out the differences between your own policies and the other candidates, whether they're in your party or in the opposing parties. And I think it does a disservice to voters to have rules like this. David, it feels like it's the uh, Harry Potter rule, the, the opponent that shall not be named, uh, instead of actually seeing Hickenlooper, uh, and not equating John Hickenlooper to Voldemort out there. I'm just sorry. I'm already thinking about the emails coming through. I'm not saying that, just that it's another play on words. But, uh, David, what do you think about the candidate forms policy? Well, it, it's nice to see six out of eight of the candidates at least sticking up for their own free speech. Uh, that, that's a good start. Maybe some of them will then, uh, from time to time, support free speech for people they disagree with. Uh, Amelia, wrap it up for us. Should uh, the candidates be able to speak their mind, even including the names of their opponents at these forums? The one thing I wanted to talk about was actually the live streaming. I feel like I I've gone to a lot of um, candidate forums for the school board recently, so it's been on my mind. And, uh, you know, the rooms are not super packed. Maybe they're more packed for that race than this one. But, um, uh, you know, like I find it really useful to be able to go back and, and rewatch forums as a voter, as a journalist. And so I think, um, you know, you're really kind of limiting the number of people who can hear from the candidates. It's time for a very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, let me uh, make myself the disgrace for getting Omar Montgomery's name wrong. I was getting him mixed up with Omar Bradley. That's kind of a David Kopel <laughs> World War II general problem. But <laughs> Both why yeah. Aurora has been able to come up with a really interesting roster of candidates. You know, people who are impressive would have been great if they'd been running in Denver and that we didn't have the same kind of really interesting very aggressive debate is too bad. It's, I think Denver's separate format. 
David. Um, based on this, this last few weeks' events, I am beginning to suspect that the president might actually not be a stable genius. <laughs> <laughs> an, an, another crazy limb you're going out yeah. there, David. Uh, Melanie. Yeah, I've got a school-related one, but not from Colorado. So um, in Madison, Wisconsin, a school security guard was um, fired for telling a student not to, uh, not to use a racial slur against him. And this school district has a no-tolerance policy for racial slurs, but it seems like there should be some room for context. Wendy. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and uh, name the, uh, the South Park School Administration. I was up there this Tuesday, and let's just say that there's, uh, it seems like one side is willing to talk and the other is hiding behind closed doors. Literally, you can go check the, the Facebook Live on that. <laughs> Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty. I'm going to throw in two uh, items, food for thought. One, the Colorado Department of Agriculture put on a great forum about the future of agriculture in Colorado. Kate Greenberg, the new head, is really impressive. And the Colorado Restaurant Association, which just held its annual meeting, and I was honored to be named to the Restaurant Hall of Fame, I think because of my bar bill. I'm really not sure what else, except for I've been blessed with great reporters at Westward, including Melanie. Well, but Patty, I think that is a well-deserved honor, not just because of your bar bill, but also because of how much information we know about all the restaurants throughout the metro area because of Western. Including your families. Yes, indeed. <laughs> David. The University of Delaware uh, announced that it's shutting down the so-called Confucius Institute at the campus. These institutes are uh, tools of the Chinese totalitarian uh, government uh, to, to spread propaganda uh, in the United States. And uh, the uh, Community College of Denver and Colorado State University should follow the lead of the lots of other schools around the country that are getting rid of the Confucius Institutes. You can study Chinese without having it be Chinese Communist Party propaganda. Melanie. Yeah, I wanted to give a shout-out to the um, one or two people who had already returned their Aurora ballots by October 16th. Well done. That's, yeah. That's Very nice. That's a <laughs> a shout-out to folks actually doing something on yeah, time. prompt voting. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, Wendy. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give a shout-out to both uh, the members of the Denver City Council and the Denverites who showed up for the big minimum wage forum this week. Uh, on raising Denver's minimum wage. There were some really powerful stories told and a lot of folks who kind of courageously stood up to tell them. Well, be sure to catch the new season of Both Sides of the Story. We're right in the thick of the tournament. Uh, it's every Friday at 7.30 p.m., so our last preliminary round is next week. Then we get into our semifinals in third place. And this most recent uh, season of street-level community features leaders of Denver giving us a great tour of their favorite places every Tuesday at 8 p.m., so be sure to check that out. And I know I would not be keeping up my title as favorite uncle of the year, uh, of the year, favorite uncle, period, uh, if I didn't wish happy birthday to uh, my nephew. You, Bryson, uh, becoming a teenager today. So happy birthday, Bryson, from your favorite uncle. And I just want to again thank uh, Panic Cocoon and everybody here for these last couple of weeks. It is very nice for me to be able to take a vacation for a couple of weeks, knowing that everything goes even smoother, even better while I am out. Uh, that is uh, really quite something to be able to have as a, a, a nice way to be able to relax on vacation, knowing everything is even doing better than when you're uh, here. So thank you for everybody for pulling that off. Thank you for all your kind words while I was out. And for everybody here at Colorado Inside out and CPT12. I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.